Amen. Well, to God be all the glory. Amen. I miss you too. Well, this is going to be an example in our weakness he has made strong because I am, it's going to be hard for me to get through this today, but you know what? I just felt like it was time to come back. And uh, it's good to see everybody. I love you guys more than you will ever know. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship and honor your most holy name. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, this morning we come humbly before you and I ask in Jesus' name that you would take this marred and imperfect vessel and use it for your glory. Lord, I thank you for these wonderful people, my church family. What a blessing they've been. How faithful they've been. Appreciate their prayers and their encouragement. And Lord, we pray this morning that your word would go forth with power. And Lord, that lives would be transformed. Lord, I pray that all that we've been through would not be a bump in the road, but we would be a transformation in not only my life, but the life of this church. Lord, I thank you for the way that we're praying more than we've ever prayed before. Lord, I pray that would continue. Lord, I pray that we would learn compassion and love for one another like never before. And Lord, I just pray that above all, you would be glorified. We thank you, we praise you, we worship and magnify your most holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, well, I'm going to give you a five-minute, well, it might be more than that, overview of kind of what's been happening with me the last eight weeks, in case you happen to be new here. Um, by the way, if you're new, I am the pastor. <laughs> I know you've had seven or eight weeks of other people teaching, but, uh, and by the way, I was, I was listening to the DVDs, Awesome. Just incredible. What a blessing. Amen? Well, on, Ju- on July 24th, I thought I was going to heaven. The reality is I had pain like I'd never experienced before. And in the back of the ambulance, I could hear the urgency and the voices of the drivers and the paramedics. And I thought I was going to heaven. And as you know, the last chapter I taught was Revelation chapter 1, where we got a picture of Jesus. And I thought, here I come. Revelation 1 says he's clothed with a garment to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band, his head and his hair white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters, in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance like the sun shining in its strength." John, who had seen Jesus in his earthly form, when he saw Jesus in heaven, he fell over like a dead man. And I thought, I'm about to be there. I really did. And I can tell you that at that moment, I I was driven to pray for my family. You know, as I was thinking about being before Almighty God at any moment, I was never so glad to be saved at any time in my life as I was then. And can I encourage you that, you know what, it didn't happen for me at that moment, but it's going to happen someday. And it's going to happen someday for everybody in this room. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, it's going to be a horrific day. But if you know him, you're going to see your Savior face to face. And it's going to be a glorious day, amen? And my prayer is that you don't leave here this morning without him. We have the assurance and the hope of heaven if we have Jesus Christ. I spent several weeks in the hospital. Some of you may not even know that I spent over a week in a medically induced coma. 
Uh, during that time, they thought I was going to die several times, and they finally, out of urgency to do something, did an emergency surgery and drained a lot of infection. My body was twice its normal size. You can tell by now I've lost 42 pounds on the Dominican diet. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. But I woke up after I missed all that time, and I woke up at the end of that and uh, had a long recovery in the hospital. Some of you know I was back in the hospital this week because some of the uh, circumstances of my treatment have brought on some more ailments. Just so you know, I still have tubes in my side draining infection out of my side. I still have an IV pick in my arm. But you know what? In our weakness, he is made strong. And I'm just glad to be here. I couldn't be more thankful. I, I would like to say I took it all in stride, but I want to be honest with you. I had times of discouragement, just being transparent. I did struggle, but I can't imagine going through it alone. I can't imagine going through it, first and foremost, without the Lord. I can't imagine going through it without my family. I can't imagine going through it without each of you. In the prayers of thousands, many of whom I've never met, I came home, I had over 2,000 emails from people all over the world praying for me. I, you, you talk about humbling. I'm humbled by the incredible outpouring of love and support shown to both me and my family. Your prayers, your cards, your emails. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but my first meal was delivered by somebody who's dealing with cancer. You talk about humbling. I feel like I should have been delivering a meal to her house. You guys have been incredible. Now, we may wonder why God may allow this. You know, we just moved to a new facility, and God's doing great things. The church is growing. Lives are being transformed. Why would God allow this? Guys, the answer isn't why, it's what. Not why did God allow us, but what does God want to teach us through this? First and foremost, in my own life, what does God want to do to me to make me a more broken and desperate man? I believe he's done that. To make us a more broken and desperate church. To teach me more about being compassionate, it says in 1 Corinthians that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That we may truly become a house of prayer, and I praise God that that's happening. Many have told me that they've never prayed so fervently for anything in their lives as, as they've prayed for me, and I'm humbled by that and I'm grateful. But I pray that that doesn't stop, that that fervency continues on, and that we're just as fervent about the person next door whose name we barely know praying for them as praying for your pastor. Amen? God has allowed this to happen for a reason. Guys, all things do work together for good for those who trust in God and are called according to his purpose. That's not a platitude we preach. That's a promise we stand on. Amen? I praise God for this. God allowed it. Now, you know what? Some of you have heard they made mistakes in the hospital, and they did. This should have been an in-and-out two-day thing, and they made some mistakes. But here's the reality. God allowed it. He allowed it for a reason, and I praise him for it. And to him be all the glory. Amen? You know what, guys? We need to... Just trust in the sovereign hand of God. It takes away all the questions and all the doubt. We can trust in him. He's faithful. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and, and eternal weight of glory. You know what, guys? You, many of you have been through far worse than, than I have. Far worse. Far worse. And you know what? God is using it for his glory. 
God's using it to conform us into his image. God's using it to make us be the people that can reach out and minister to others. And so instead of pushing against what God wants to do, you know, if we say we'll die for him, we need to be willing to go to the hospital for him. Amen? If we say we're willing to, to, you know, Lord, I'll endure it because through this you're going to be glorified. And again, I want to make this very clear that I was not, you know, again, God used me in the hospital. I know that I got to witness to a lot of nurses. It's like being chained up, you know, like Paul. They got me for eight hours. Here we go, right? And there was a lot of divine appointments, a lot of divine appointments with doctors. And I'm praising God for every bit of it. And I believe God's going to use it for his glory. With that being said, I, I, I want to say one more time, you, you can ask the pastors, I had times of great discouragement. When I got home and I had to go back, and I got home and I had to go back, you know, and I don't want to go back, but if the Lord sends me back, then praise God. You know what, the ver- I kept, verse I kept quoting in the hospital, my wife didn't like me quoting it much, but I kept saying, though he slay me, yet will, he, yet will I trust in him. That's Job. Guys, if he takes our life, the worst thing that's going to happen to us is we get to stand before the creator of the universe. But here's the reality. God in his infinite wisdom chose to keep me here a while longer. I'm excited to be here. God's going to do great things and he's going to be glorified and God's going to bring revival to this county. I'm fully convinced of it. Amen. All right. With that being said, my five days in the hospital kind of cramped my study time this week. So I was unable to get to Revelation 2, which was my heart, to be here today, teach Revelation chapter 2. I spent five days in the hospital, and I prayed for a miracle that I'd be here anyway, and here I am. So I'm going to actually share a message that I shared on a Wednesday night uh, just a couple months ago. And uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna, it's a message I shared with the Northern California pastors. And I shared it with them because it was something that got burned in my heart when I was down at the pastor's conference. And the title of the message is, It's Our Turn. It's Our Turn. And you'll see the outline up there on the screen. But Damien Kyle said not, not too long ago to the pastors that there's no greater time, we're going to be in Daniel, there's no greater time in human history to be a pastor than right now. And I could say the same for being a Christian in a lot of ways. Because there's a temptation to compromise. There's a temptation to go with the flow. There's a temptation to water down the message. You know, so many examples we see in Scripture of people who've heard the truth, but they don't finish well. They succumb to temptation. They become prideful. They cease to be desperate for God. Before you know it, their walk with the Lord has fallen apart. We see examples like Saul and Samson and others. And sadly, we see it today amongst people that we know. But in Scripture, we see those who do finish well. Some of my favorites are Caleb and Joshua and Stephen and Paul and John the Baptist and Peter and John the, the Apostle. But one God has been encouraging me with, probably my favorite example of finishing strong, of course, is Daniel. But you know what? Before Daniel became Daniel in the lion's den in his 80s, he was Daniel, a teenage boy. He was ripped away from his family and taken into captivity as a teenager. Had he not been a young man who purposed in his heart, he never would have been an 80-year-old man who stood up for God. Guys, it's never too soon to get right with God. It's not something to be put off. Because if we do, we're going to miss out on God's highest. As we look through Daniel, we're going to see some examples of what it means that, you know, the, the thought of my heart is this. You know, Martin Luther had his turn. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had his turn. The Apostle Paul had his turn. Guess what, guys? It's our turn. It's us. 
It's up to us. We're the remnant. We're the church. We're living in a time right now where we see less and less people walking with God. And you know what that means? We need to be more and more on fire for Him and less ashamed of the truth of the gospel than ever before. Amen? It's our turn. It's in our hands. And so the points I want to make as we're going to go through the first six chapters of Daniel. Number one, may we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to his word. That's where it starts. You know where the number one place the enemy is going to attack is the word of God. If you can make the word of God less than the word of God, if it's got errors in it, you know, there's debates even in Christian schools today as to whether or not the word of God is inerrant. Let me make it very clear to you. The word of God is without error. It's perfect. Amen. And as soon as we downplay God's word, we're in trouble. Number two, may we, attempt to f- not, may we not attempt to face our trials alone. I taught this right before I went in the hospital. And let me tell you, it means more to me today than it ever has. Number three, may we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. Number four, may our zeal and boldness not die out over time. Number five, may our testimonies and faithfulness to God and his word Give us an opportunity to minister to those who are hurting and looking for answers. And then finally, may we finish strong. So we're going to go through the first six chapters of Daniel. We're going to look at this young man's life. And again, you need to understand that of all people in the Bible, other than Jesus Christ himself, there's more written about Daniel with not one recorded sin in all of Scripture. Now, we know Daniel was a sinner because all men are. But the fact that the Word of God doesn't record one sin tells us a lot about this man. Jesus quoted the words of Daniel, referred to him as a prophet. And the reason that Daniel was a man God used, as we'll see, is he was a man of purpose and a man of prayer. Now, what was happening in the time of Daniel? Then we'll get into the text. Time of Daniel, they had just gone from Josiah, who was a godly king, who had torn down all the high places and returned them to true worship. And in the midst of that, in came an evil and wicked kings, actually three of them. And they began to worship the pagan and false idols yet again. And so God allowed Babylon to come in and bring the Jews into captivity. So what happened was they came in, and as they came in, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. He came in and overran them. And of course, in the midst of the wickedness, there was a remnant. And Daniel was a part of that remnant. He and three of his friends that we're going to talk about. And they were taken away into captivity. They were dragged away from their family, dragged away from their friends, taken away from everything that they knew. Look what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Besieged, we can read right over that. He came in and set the place on fire. He came in and ripped families apart. He was slaughtering people. Daniel witnessed it firsthand. And he saw those who would dare stand against Nebuchadnezzar die a quick and painful death. This teenage boy, probably between the ages of 13 and 16, you got to understand something, that all around him, people were practicing soothsaying and witchcraft, and they were consulting spirits and mediums. In the middle of all that, Daniel was a faithful young man. So during those sieges that King Nebuchadnezzar came in, he would take that which was best. Look at verse 4. It says, well, verse 3, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the, some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So he went in and he took all the gold that was being used to worship God and he took all the implements and then he went in and said, bring me the best of their people. And notice he uses the word children of Israel. And then he says in verse 4, young men, 
in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Here's what he said. Give me the smartest guys they have, and let's indoctrinate them in the way that we live. Guys, the world is trying to indoctrinate our teenagers in the way that it lives. And they're trying to take Daniel out of his environment and indoctrinate him with the false gods and the lies of, of the Babylonians. It says in verse 5, And the king appointed for them a daily division of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, and at the end of that time that they might serve before the king. And what's interesting, Daniel could have been relieved. He comes in, he's seen people slaughtered, and now instead what happens is they roll out a a great meal in front of him. They bring out the king's wine in front of him. It would have been very easy for him to go, whew, I'm not going to die. Hey, if I have to learn a a little bit of their stuff, fine. Let me eat their food. At least I've survived. And by the way, most of the people that would hold me accountable are dead now. There's very few of us left. It would have been so easy for Daniel to go with the flow. But notice, Daniel's not going to do that. They lay out this pagan diet before him. They train him up in their ways. Verse 6, Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now you can read through that and not think that's a big deal, but here's the thing. Took their Christian names, not Christian names, but godly names. Christ hadn't come yet, but godly names. Like Daniel means God is my judge. They changed his name to Baal protect his life. Baal was a false god. Let me change your your diet, let me change the, the way that you, you learn and what you've learned in your past. Let me change your name. Let me change your culture. Let me change everything about you to conform you to our pagan way of life. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. The enemy is still trying to do the same thing today. Amen? Hananiah means God has been gracious. Change his name to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of, and it's the name of a false god. Each name was changed from a name that brought glory to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to a name that would bring glory to the false idols of the land. Now that tells us something about these boys. I believe it tells us they grew up in godly homes because their parents gave them godly names. So they've been raised with a godly heritage, but now the rubber meets the road. And this happens in every young person's life, where no longer are mom and dad standing next to you. Now you're standing on your own two feet, youth group, and you're standing there, and right in front of your eyes, here comes the temptation of the enemy to go away from what you've been taught. And that's exactly where Daniel is. It's a little compromise. Just eat the king's food. It's the best food we have. Drink the king's wine. It's the best wine we have. Also, they change your name a little bit. At least they didn't kill you. Right? But watch what this teenage boy does. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, Therefore, he requested the chief eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You know what's awesome? Daniel made a stand for God, but he could only make a stand for God because he knew the word of God. Because it was the word of God that revealed what was 
unclean to eat. And because he knew what the word of God said, he said, I'm not going to eat that because the law of Moses forbids it. The word of God forbids it. Guys, we need to stop going with what the world around us is doing and make the word of God alone the standard for the way that we live. Even other Christians. Amen? Well, I know a Christian who does that. So what? Would Christ do it? Does the word of God teach it? Let's stand up for the truth. Here's a teenage boy who knows this is probably going to cost me my life because I've already seen people die right in front of my eyes. I'm probably going to die for this, but I'd rather die with conviction than live with compromise. And I'm not going to do it because the law of Moses forbids it. And watch what happens, verse 9. Now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Guys, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And that's what Daniel did. Daniel purposed. Daniel stood up. Guys, it's our turn to do the same. It's our turn. And this is where it begins, standing on the word of God. He purposed in his heart to obey God at a time when what he was going through was the most difficult and almost unimaginable trial. Home and people besieged, his family and friends slaughtered and enslaved, separated and carried away to a foreign and pagan land of the enemy, numbered among the eunuchs, which means he may have been castrated, pagan foods put in front of him, an attempt to make or eliminate his godly heritage and, and culture, and Daniel could have easily been angry with God. Couldn't Daniel have said, God, why did you let this happen? You know what, God? You weren't here for me. I'm going to take care of myself. God, you didn't show up when things got tough and you allowed Babylon to come in. Why didn't you stand up and protect your people? He could have used his circumstances as an excuse to turn away from God to take what would seem to be the easy way out. After all, it's what most people do. You know what? You get upset, you get angry, and you walk away. Guys, I can't imagine walking away. And if you're here today and you've walked away, you can take a million steps away from God. It's one step back, amen? It's easy to get angry with God when things don't go the way we think they should. Could have tried to make the best of a bad situation. He could have gone with the flow. He could have succumbed to the pressure to conform. Hey, at least I'm alive. It could have been worse. God didn't protect my family. I guess I'll have to protect myself. After all, a little compromise is better than being put to death. Is that true? It's not. Guys, if we have an eternal perspective, if we truly believe we're going to see Jesus one day very soon face to face, then we'll recognize that a little compromise is a big deal. Amen? Daniel could have eaten the food, embraced the culture, forgotten all God's word, had instructed him, had little or no accountability at the time. He might not have even heard a word from anybody, but instead he purposed in his heart, because even though the crowd wasn't watching, Almighty God was. It's been said that reputation is who you are when everyone's watching. Character is who you are when no one's watching. Amen? And let us be people of character. It's character building moments like this that made Daniel into a mighty man of God. It's because he purposed in his heart as a young man that he became a mighty man who would stand when nobody else would. It's in these times of great trials that our character is formed. Our testimony is forged. That God is often doing his greatest work. Now, I wrote this two months ago. Let me read it to you. The last six months have been the most difficult in my 20 years as a pastor. I wrote that two months ago. Things gotten easier? Not so much. 
I wrote at the time, every aspect of life, family, health, finances, and everybody knows my weak spot, it's my family. Went through a difficult time with my boys, my daughter and grandson were in a head-on collision with a tree. Um, just was a very difficult time. My wife, I'm not, you know, very rare to talk about her, but in 20 years, she's always been so supportive, and at one point she said, I'm done being a pastor's wife, I'm done. Because sometimes you're under such attack so often. The attacks weren't only there, but people at church were attacking at the time. There were people murmuring, gossiping, all this stuff. And there's a time when in your flesh you just want to go forget it. You know, it's just not worth it. How about we just go to church and sit in the back row and open our Bibles and study and move on. Be Christians. But then the pastor thing for 20 years. But you know what? That's what the enemy wants, not what God wants. The enemy wants us to walk away and give up on whatever God's called us to do. God has a calling on everyone's life in this room. And the enemy wants to render us ineffective for that calling. Daniel was called by God. Daniel saw the, God saw the lion's den 70 years in Daniel's future. And he knew this was preparation. Daniel could have never seen it. Guys, what we're going through today, we don't understand what it's preparation for. But God sees the beginning from the end. Let's trust him. Amen? I believe that God's going to do great things in my life, in your lives, and the enemy wants to do everything he can to render, render us ineffective. We must not succumb to the pressures of the enemy to compromise. So, chapter 1, we saw Daniel purpose in his heart. May we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to his word. Number 2, may we not attempt to face our trials alone. You get to verse 17 of chapter 1, it says that Daniel and the four young men grew in knowledge and wisdom and all literature, and these guys were smarter than anybody else. You get to the end, it says they were 10 times smarter than all the magicians and astrologers, duh. And here's the reality. The word of God, you can't put enough zeros behind it comparing its wisdom to the wisdom of the world, amen? And Daniel had the wisdom of God, and it was evident. Well, you get to chapter 2. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in his dream, he is tormented. And he is tormented to the point where he calls for his magicians and sorcerers. And they all come in and they have no answers. And so the king, you know, as he is wont to do, if somebody doesn't give him the answer he wants, just kill him. And so he calls, says, just kill all my wise men. They don't have any answers. So Daniel and his three friends are among that number. They get called in. Look at verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. So they come to him and say, you're going to die. And he says, give me a little time. And he says, he answered and said to Arioch, verse 15, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the, the king the interpretation. Now, if you don't tell me what this dream means, you're going to die. That would be a trial. Amen. And by the way, you got a few hours. So what does Daniel do? Get his Ouija board out? Call 1-800-PSYCHIC? Doesn't do that. He'd already tried, they tried the psychics, that didn't work. Tried the magicians, that didn't work. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven heaven. What did they do? 
He sought out his godly friends when he was going through a trial. They got on their knees together and they sought Almighty God's face. Guys, that's the example for us. When you're in a trial, don't make God the last resort. Make him the first place you turn. Amen? Sometimes, oh, I guess I'll have to pray. I've tried everything else. Right? Has that ever happened to anybody? Amen? But Daniel went to his godly friends. Together they sought the Lord. Daniel was a man of prayer and fellowship. He didn't rely on his own wisdom. He already said he was ten times smarter than everyone else. Why didn't he just rely on his own wisdom? Well, here's what I think. You know what? What I think is irrelevant. What does God say? And he didn't trust in his own wisdom. He got on his face. He sought Almighty God. This is preparation for the lion's den still. And God is using this young man to minister to a pagan king. He turned to the Lord first, and then they turned to one another. Look at verse 27 and 28. Look what happens. Daniel answered and said in the presence of the king, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. I love that. By the way, you tried it your way? How's that working out for you? Amen? When I witness to people a lot, I ask them that question. Been living life your way. How's that working out for you? Not so good, amen? But notice what he says. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Who's he talking to? King Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan God, the pagan God of idolatry. He said, you've tried your idols, you've tried your soothsayers, you've tried your musicians, you have no answers, but there is a God in heaven. Notice that God gets all the glory. Daniel doesn't say, well, I'm glad you called me because you got the smartest guy in the area and I'm expecting a reward out of this deal. That's not what happened. He instead said, there's a God in heaven. Guys, when people come to us for counsel, we need to give them that same response. You know what? I don't have the answer, but I know somebody who does. And I know some, a God in heaven who is great and greatly to be praised. And he'll give you the answer. And he says he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. He's telling him about what this dream really means. Move over to verse 46. Now notice what happens. He gives him the answer. He tells him what the dream means. It's got prophetic meaning. We don't have time to go into that. But then it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel. What? And commanded they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts and him made ruler over the whole province of Babylon and God and, and chief administrator over the, all the wise men of Babylon. What happened? Daniel obeyed God. He appointed, he appointed a pagan king to God. And in the end, the pagan king recognized that his God is God. Guys, that's how it works. It's not our wisdom. It's pointing them to the truth of God, God's word and allowing God to stand for himself. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. It's our turn. Lessons learned from life of Daniel. May we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful. And may we not attempt to face our trials alone. Here it is, Daniel. Trial came, sought godly friends, got on his knees, sought the Lord. Chapter 3. May we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. If you've been coming to this church very long, you know it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. 
King Nebuchadnezzar had just promoted Daniel in the previous chapter and had just said, your God is God. And then we get to chapter 3, and he builds a 90-foot image of himself and tells everyone, when the music plays, bow and worship the image of me. And if you don't bow, I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. Isn't that just like the world? Crying out to God at 9-11 and packing out churches, and a few months later, forgetting all about him. King Nebuchadnezzar, crying out to God, and not much time later, is making an idol unto himself. It's the ultimate sin, the sin of pride. I want you to notice something too, and this is a constant battle, I'm being transparent in my own home. You know what? Music is Satan's instrument to drag God's people away from the truth. Amen? Be very careful to what you listen to because the enemy will use that. Now your focus is on anything but the Lord. Now, I don't want to be too dogmatic, but I'll just give you my own personal, my own personal conviction. I listen to nothing but Christian music. You don't have, that's between you and the Lord. When I start making a personal conviction, then I start being legalistic. I don't want to do that. Some of you might say, oh, I like the BGs or whatever. Well, I'll pray for you. All right. But here's, here's the reality that when I'm listening to worship, it's transforming who I am on the inside. And when I listen to something else, it's taking my eyes off Jesus Christ. And it may not even be wicked or evil, but so the music starts to play. Everybody bows down to worship. And as you know, the story, you get to verse seven, of chapter three. Whoever fell down to worship will be cast immediately fire furnace. So at the time, verse 7, when all the people heard the sound of the horn and the flute and the harp and the lyre and the symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Guys, it's a lot of pressure when they say, bow or burn. Right? Bow or burn. I think bow. Let me think bow. Right? And everybody, music plays, boom. Everybody down. And there stand Daniel's three friends. Where was Daniel? I don't know. But I'm going to talk about that in a moment because Daniel wrote this book and wrote this chapter. So certainly Daniel knew all about it. You know, the easiest thing to do is to go with the flow, isn't it? The easiest thing to do would be bow with everyone else. Who's going to, no one's going to point a finger at you. They're bowing too. The easiest thing to do is listen to the same music everybody else listens to. Do the same things everybody else is doing. To compromise your faith just like everyone else compromises. That's the easiest thing to do. The harder thing to do, you know, any dead fish can go with the flow, right? Right? But the harder thing to do is to swim against the current and stand for the truth when nobody else will. And here we have three young men who do. And I need to move through this a little quicker. So what happens? Give it to Pastor Dave real clear. What ha- so King Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and gives them another chance. Hey, guys, I heard you didn't bow. We're going to play the music again, and you better bow. And if you don't, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fire. Strikes up the heart. The music plays. They don't bow. One of the things that King Nebuchadnezzar said at the end of his statement is threat. You know, I just have visions in my head when I read the Bible. What vision, big guy, you know, veins pulsing out of his neck. And he says, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Really? 
That's a pretty boastful thing to say. So he throws them in the fire, as we know. They even tell him, you know what? Throw us in. God will deliver us, but even if not, we will not bow. Why? Because it's better to die in a fire than to compromise, than to deny the true and living God, to bow to a false God. Boy, we need that in the Christian church today. And so what happens? They get thrown in the fire, and you know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he threw them in bound, and now he sees them loose, and they're walking around in the fire. And he says, hey, there's a fourth one in there, and he's in the likeness of the Son of God. Guys, when you go through the fire, Jesus Christ is always with you. Jesus was with them in the fire. And then he goes from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands to come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Things done changed. What happened? Somebody stood up. That's what happened. Amen? Now, I love the point, and you've heard me say this a hundred times, so 101 won't hurt you. I love that they had to be summoned out of the fire. If you're in fire, I'm thinking getting out, probably something you want to do. And they had to be called out. Why? Because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? I have an idea. They're like, Lord, can we just stay here? This fiery furnace is pretty sweet because you're here. Amen? And he shines brighter than any fire that man could produce. And what I love about this whole story is that Daniel though not mentioned in this chapter, was no doubt impacted by the boldness and steadfastness of his friends. You know, I think about the steadfastness of others and how it's been such an encouragement to me. People I don't know that well, I know John Corson a little bit. His wife and his daughter both killed. Separate car accidents. Man remaining faithful. My pastor in Southern California spoke here a couple, mo- couple months ago. And the man God used to disciple me a great deal. Right when we started attending his church, his teenage daughter was killed, run over by a, a car and killed. And that man just kept teaching the Bible. Think of Rick Franks as the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mountain View. Keep his daughters in prayer. Two daughters who had cystic fibrosis, as they were, you know, diagnosis. They were one in three, in and out of hospitals ever since, and, and just going through the most tumultuous health. And here that brother is, remaining faithful. Pastor Brian, Calvary Chapel, uh, Half Moon Bay, his wife Carol's dying of cancer right in front of his eyes and that brother remaining faithful you in this room you've lost spouses you've lost children you have kids in rebellion you're dealing with cancer and you remain faithful guys we can be a source of encouragement to one another amen and daniel could look at those three men and see their example and be encouraged by it just as your faithfulness has strengthened me i pray that we might strengthen one another So, it's our turn. May we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful. May we not not attempt to face our trials alone. May we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. May our zeal and boldness may not die out over time. Look at chapter 4. Now, when we come to chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have another dream. And let's read verses uh, 4 through 9. Chapter 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw in a dream which made me afraid. Thoughts in my bed and the visions of my head trouble me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me. Is this guy ever going to learn? I sought these knuckleheads before, got nothing, but I'm going to call them again. That they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in, I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. 
But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. Still doesn't get it. In him is the spirit of the holy God. Amen. I told the dream before him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. But I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I've seen in its interpretation. You know what? Time had gone on. Daniel was still the man that everybody knew had the truth. You know what? I pray that that would be our reputation at work. Not that we're perfect, but that we have the truth. Daniel had the truth. Though time has passed, his position has grown, he's going to be brought before the king, and he's not going to water down the message. He's going to continue to speak with boldness. And I pray our zeal and boldness don't die out over time. May the flames be fanned, not quenched. Look at verse 18. So Daniel is called in. Verse 18, This Dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declared its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Time has gone on, and Daniel's reputation has grown. I'm going to have to sit for a minute. Please forgive me. So Daniel's reputation has grown, while at the same time, we see that the magicians have no answers. His, his testimony didn't fade, it grew. Look at verse 33 and 34. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding was returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. King Nebuchadnezzar recognized that Daniel had the answers. But then King Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel gave him the answer, you know what Daniel told him? You're going to be like a wild man. You're going to be scratching at the ground. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And King Nebuchadnezzar became like a wild man. And when did that change? When did his understanding return? Look at verse 34, when he lifted his eyes to heaven. Guys, we don't understand and we don't get it till we get our eyes looking up. Amen? And we really are scratching in dirt and we're making fools of ourselves and we look really foolish when we try to do it in our own wisdom. It's only when we look up and get our eyes back on Him. Understanding comes through prayer and an eternal perspective. Number, f- number five, lessons learned from the life of Daniel. May we purpose in our hearts to honor God and to remain faithful to His Word. May we not attempt to face our trials alone. May we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. May our zeal and boldness not die out over time. Again, he hadn't, he hadn't faded. Number five, and we'll see this in chapter five. May our testimonies and faithfulness to God and his word give us an opportunity to minister to those who are hurting and looking for answers. Now, from chapter four to chapter five, 20 years after chapter four, now 60 years after Daniel was taken into captivity, worldly kings have come and gone. Daniel's still there. Belteshazzar, filling or Belshazzar, excuse me, filling invincible as Babylon is under siege, throws a party. Look at verse 4 through 9. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of 
a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote. Here's where we get the term, the writings on the wall. That's biblical. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him. So the joints of his hips were loosened. I hate to be graphic, but that means he pooped himself. And his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring the astronomers. What? The astronomers, the, the, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. Time has gone on and a new king has come into reign and the writing's on the wall as he's partying and he thinks he's invincible. If you're here this morning and you think you're invincible, you're not. Amen? I found out real quickly. Bam! Felt healthy as a horse. Dropped to the ground. Most excruciating pain of my life. I thought I was going to heaven in a minute and I could have. Guys, we have no promise of tomorrow. No matter how young, how healthy, how strong you may be. Belshazzar's you know, having this huge party. and thinks he's invincible. Why? Because he has a mighty fortress. The enemy's trying to come against him. And he thinks, I'm impenetrable. Nothing can happen to me. And God reaches down from heaven and writes on the wall, meanie, meanie, tikel, you parson. And so they have no answer. He calls for his own people. They can't tell him anything. Verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. And the queen spoke, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Twenty years have passed and Daniel's reputation stands. Why? Because he stands for God. The days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. There is one. Guys, if you're looking for answers, there is one. Amen? There is an answer. You're holding it in your lap. It all points to Jesus Christ. He's the one. When the world is in a place of desperation and has no answers, they're going to be looking for a godly man or a godly woman. The very people that mock you at work when diagnosed with cancer will run to you for prayer. The very people that want, don't want the neighbor that doesn't want to hear it when their child is in trouble will come knocking on your door. Daniel, for 20 years, remained faithful. Daniel didn't seek out to be in a position of authority. He was only put there because God used him. And now trouble has come. They're looking for an answer. Who knows a godly man? I know one. Let's go find him. Let's go get Daniel. He'll tell the truth. He'll know. Verse 16, move up to there. Now, this is King Belshazzar. I've heard of you, that, speaking to Daniel, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can, read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, and you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain around your neck, and you shall be third ruler in the kingdom. He tries to bribe Daniel to give him the answer. Belshazzar's ungodliness is going to result in his destruction. And Daniel's not going to water down the message for any amount of money. Let me say that again. Daniel's not going to water down the message for any amount of money. 
You know, being home for eight weeks and watching Christian television between the hospital and being when, during the time I wasn't in a coma, you know, there's times when you're watching and you're thinking, I can't believe God doesn't strike this guy dead where he stands. I'm just being honest. Get my prayer cloth. Send your seed money. That's tapering the message for your own gain. Daniel is offered third in the kingdom. I'll give you wealth without measure. I'll give you everything, Daniel. Look at verse 17. Here's Daniel's response. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known the interpretation. You know what? Daniel's only going to do it for God's glory and never for his own gain. Daniel is faithful to the word. And because he was, when time came and they were looking for answers, they turned to him when they were desperate. And he told the king what he didn't want to hear. By the way, you've been judged and found wanting and you're going to die tonight. That could result in your head getting chopped off, I'm thinking. But you know what? Daniel, you couldn't threaten him with heaven. He taught the truth. He was unwavering. May our testimonies and faithfulness to God and his word give us an opportunity to minister to those who are hurting and looking for answers. Finally, I know we're going through this fairly quickly, but I want to hit the points. Last point, may we finish strong. Living lives that would rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Come to chapter 6, Daniel's in his 80s. But, He's had 70 years of preparation for this moment, hasn't he? Daniel's been challenged. Daniel's faith has been questioned. Daniel's had opportunities to compromise, but because he won't, God is going to use him. King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire now reigning. Why? Because Belshazzar had been dropped over dead like God prophesied he would. And now Darius is there. Look at verse two, uh, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom and over those three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governor's satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Why was he esteemed? Because the spirit of the living God was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So Daniel's elevated to number two in the kingdom, verse four. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall find no fault against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Wow. You know, the only way we can find Daniel doing anything wrong is if we outlaw worshiping God. Wouldn't you love to have that reputation? Wouldn't you love for that to be your testimony and your character? And so what do they do? They say, they go to Darius and they feed his ego and say, hey, King Darius, we want to set a decree and make you the only God over Babylon. And anybody who prays to any God but you will be thrown into the lion's den. King Darius was like, oh, sounds pretty good. Everybody pray to me. He even at one point asked, did you check with everybody? Yeah, everybody's in agreement. Now watch what happens. So the decree goes out. If you pray, you're going to die. And I'm thinking fed to lions, probably not my first choice. Probably not the way I'd want to die. How about you? 
And so what happens? Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows shut under the covers where no one would see him. Is that what it says? With his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. Telling Daniel not to pray was like telling him not to breathe. And Daniel didn't go home and hide it. He threw the windows open. I imagine the satraps and governors who want to get Daniel out of there. He keeps raising. They don't have any answers. He's always got them. They want to get rid of this guy. They're out by the window, just waiting for that window to kick open because they know it's going to. And sure enough, it does. And what happens? Daniel's praying. Why? Because Daniel would rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Because Daniel was a man who you couldn't keep from, from worshiping the true and living God. Go down to verse 16. So the king gave command. They brought Daniel and cast him in the den of lions. But the king spoke saying, Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Isn't it amazing how even an unbeliever can recognize the greatness of your faith and the greatness of your God that he can deliver you? One of the greatest things that I believe has happened because of my illness is I believe God's going to bring revival where I work. You should see the emails I've gotten from my coworkers. People that I have talked to that have been resistant have been writing me, I'm praying for you. We can't wait for you to come back. I started reading my Bible. You need to come back so you can tell me what it all means. And you know what? If that's what it was all for, then praise God. Amen. Your God whom you serve continually, he'll deliver you. I had the atheist guy in my office leave me a message very similar to that on my answering machine. He said, you know what, Dave? You're a man of God. God's going to take care of you. This is the atheist guy in my office. I'm just baffled, but I shouldn't be. I've been praying for a revival in my office. If this is what it takes, okay. Amen? So what happens? Your God, he'll deliver you. So they take Daniel, they throw him in the lion's den, and he's there. Now remember what happens. I'm going to come to the close this because we need to get to communion. But Daniel is thrown in the lion's den, and King Darius is up in the palace. What's Daniel doing in the lion's den? He's sleeping. What's Darius doing? He's tearing the palace apart, and he's in torment. Why? Because it's better to be in the lion's den with Jesus than in the palace without him. Amen? And so we know at the end, verse 23, verse 22. Let's go to verse 21. Then Daniel, verse 20, I'm sorry. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. This is Darius. King spoke saying, Daniel, servant of the living God. You know, that's like part of his name. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. Guys, nothing can touch us because we're innocent before him, not because of who we are, but because of who we serve. Amen? There's no fear of death for the believer. There may be fear of pain, but guys, death, there's no sting. Why? Because our Savior paid the price. Amen? God delivers Daniel. 
because I was found innocent before him, and also, king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up, and no injury whatsoever was found upon him because he believed in his God. And then in the end, we see what happens. Darius says, from this point forward, we're only going to worship Daniel's God. How did that happen? It all started with a teenage boy who purposed in his heart and wouldn't defile himself. He could have been taken off track right there. God was preparing him for 70 years for something great. But along the way, he was threatened with death numerous times. He was on his knees all the time. Guys, if we want to have a life that impacts the world around us, we must be those who remain on our knees, who remain steadfast, who are not, you know, taken away because of the trials of this life, who do not waver in our faith because of the things going on around us, but instead we have an eternal perspective and we recognize who is in control. When you get to God's hall of fame in Hebrews 11, it says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel was a man of God, called of God to be his man in Babylon. Guess what? It's our turn. We've been called of God to be God's men and women in Santa Cruz County. Amen? And we've been placed here for such a time as this. And you know what? We're not far from Babylon. Amen? But you know what? The same God who showed himself strong in Daniel wants to show himself strong in us. It's our turn. Let's be faithful. May we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to his word. May we not attempt to face our trials alone. That's what this body's for, amen? May to turn to each other, turn to the Lord. May we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. May our zeal and boldness not die out over time. May our testimonies and faithfulness to God and his word give us an opportunity to minister to those who are hurting and looking for answers. And may we finish strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I pray that we recognize that we have just a vapor of time to serve you. Lord, I pray we'd be, we'd just be those who are humble and broken and desperate. It's only a man who becomes more valuable and broken. Lord, it's our turn. You've placed the gospel in our hands. You've given us your word. You've filled us with your Holy Spirit. You place callings upon our lives. You give us divine appointments every day. Lord, may we not miss it. As we go to this time of communion, Lord, just prepare our hearts to receive from you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,